I want to start, I know I told you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. I want to read a scripture out of Galatians, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. The Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In those two verses right there, if we know nothing else, in those two verses right there, gives us every reason to celebrate with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Father, we pray today that as we look into Your Word, and as we look at the account of the coming of Your Son, God, open our hearts and open our minds, open our ears, open our eyes, that we might receive a revelation of the truth and of the true gift that you have given. And of how you work, how you have worked, how you are working, and how you will always work to achieve your purposes for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for making us a part of that by your grace. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us and guiding us and teaching us and revealing to us the truth that would make us free. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 1, let's begin in verse 18, and we're going to read the, from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. And so this is the synopsis Matthew gives us of what took place 
concerning the advent. That word advent means the coming. This is the season of advent. It's the season we celebrate the coming of our Savior. Our Savior, we're not waiting for our Savior to come. He has already come. If we're waiting for Him to come, then we're still dead in our sin. He has not conquered death, but He has come. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And so this is the gift. This is the thing that we celebrate. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas isn't about Santa Claus. Christmas is about Jesus. It's exactly what we talked about today. It's about tyranny being defeated. It's about death being defeated. It's about sin being defeated. It's about a real battle. And in that battle, there were and there are real casualties. But there is also real victory. Real victory. He is God with us. You will call his name Jesus. And so this was done, and this is what the Lord spoke through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, I thought they said his name was Jesus. (laughs) Yes. God with us. People say, Jesus never said he was God. Oh, he said it over and over. And the Bible declares it over and over. He is God with us. And so his coming to us instructs us. The question is, will we learn? What are we learning? What have we learned? What are we learning? What will we learn from his coming? So the win, I want you to think about the win of God. I'm using that word as a noun. The win of God is not driven by our timetable, but His. The what of God is not driven by our plans and our purposes, but His. The how of God is not driven by our wants in our ways, but His. The why of God is not driven by our will and our desires, but His. So let's talk about this today. The win of God is not driven by our timetable, but His. Do you know how long it was before Jesus came after the first promise of His coming was made? The first promise of His coming that was revealed to us, to humanity, in this time, earth, this this time-space continuum that we live in now, it was some 4,000 years. We don't know exactly, but we can calculate. And when you say about 4,000 years after the first promise that was revealed to us of His coming, 
that first promise was made, it was 4,000 years before we saw the fulfillment of that promise. In Genesis 3.15, God, speaking to the serpent, says, In the seed of the woman, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. We know exactly who her seed is. Her seed is Jesus. We know that because Paul tells us that in Galatians 3. Not seeds as a plural, but seed as in singular, whose seed is Christ. And there in the Garden of Eden, God makes a promise to humanity that he will send his seed, a seed that will stamp upon the head of the serpent and defeat this enemy that brought death. 4,000 years. After 4,000 years and many promises. That was just the first of many promises. We have a whole Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi full of God's promises. The promise of His coming. The promise of what He would do. 4,000 years. First promise of his coming was revealed to us, think about this, in a garden called Eden. And that first promise and all the others were sealed 4,000 years later in a garden called Gethsemane. Jesus' earthly walk to that garden in Jerusalem began in a manger in Bethlehem. In Eden... My will, your will, in Eden the will of man was done. In Gethsemane, the will of God was done. Jesus said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Eve didn't say that to the serpent. Adam didn't say that to the serpent. Nevertheless, not my will, but God, your will be done. So in Gethsemane, his will was done. Why? So that both my will, our will, the will of man, and the will of God would converge where? That would converge at the cross. My will to death, and his will to life. That at the cross, Jesus said, anyone who desires to come after me and follow me and come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. What is that saying? That I die daily. This is what Paul wrote. This is what Paul said. I die daily. What was Paul really saying? I crucify my will daily. Why? For his will. So at the cross, our wills converge. The will of man and the will of God. And our will is put to death at the cross, and the will of God is life. Jesus didn't remain on a cross. He didn't remain in a tomb. He was raised three days later. This is the gift. This is the will of the Father. So the win of God is not driven by our timetable, but His. In the fullness of time, Paul writes, God sent forth His Son, Four thousand years. 
It's a long time. How long have you been waiting for God? You fill in the blank. What promise are you waiting for God to fulfill? What prayer are you waiting for God to answer? How long has it been? How long have you been waiting? Humanity waited a long time for the promise to come. Do you think God forgot? Do you think He got busy doing a bunch of other stuff and He said, Oh, I forgot about those humans. I better get back over here and take care of this stuff. I made a promise to them. 4,000 years ago, I guess I better send my son now. No. Have you ever thought maybe God has forgotten? Now, we know certainly God doesn't forget. So logically, in our minds, we would never say God forgot. But how many of us have had those thoughts? And we've asked God in our mind or in our heart, maybe God. Have you forgotten me? God, are you aware? God, do you know? God, do you hear my prayer? God, are you hearing? God, are you going to answer? Because God, I need you to move right now. God, I want you to move right now. God, you must move right now. God, you must do what you're going to do right now. And we ask God, when, God, when are you going to do what you're going to do? But the win of God is not driven by our timetable. It's His. It's His. Don't be moved by the illusion time creates in our mind as we wait for God. Because if we don't keep our mind fixed in the right way, in the right place, we can drift off into places that we shouldn't go. And we can begin to have imaginations and attitudes and thoughts which create mindsets and strongholds in our minds. And that's not good if they're not rooted and grounded in the truth and in the right things. So don't be moved by the illusion time creates in our mind as we wait for God. He is always, 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 let me say it again, He is always on time. He is. He's not, I'm just going to say this, I don't know about your experience, but in my experience, He's rarely on my time But he's always, always on time. And you know what? Even when we're not. Now, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you that I I have a real... I, I think actually I'm much, much better than I used to be. I used to have a really bad habit of being late. To her, late is you're not 10 minutes early. If you're supposed to be there at 8, and you get there at 8, 
it's kind of like you're late. But if you get there at 7.50, you're on time. Me, like 8 o'clock is 8 o'clock. Well, you know, I mean, if we get there early, that's fine. But if I get there at 8, I'm not late. God is always on time, even when we're not. He is always on time because the wind of God is not driven by our timetable, but His. Do you know that God owns time? It's His. And He has given to each of us a finite amount of it. We should be good stewards over it. God, in His grace, is teaching us, I believe, every day the value of that. But we have to trust Him with the win. It's His, it's not ours. The what of God. Let's talk about the what of God. The what of God is not driven by our plans and our purposes, but His. Have you ever asked the question, God, what are you doing? I have. I ask it all the time. (laughs) God, what are you doing? Have you ever looked at a situation or looked at your life and you're looking at things and it's like, God, I don't know what in the world you are doing. This looks like a total and complete disaster. When you read your newspaper, if you read a newspaper, I don't read them anymore. Or if you watch the news, if you watch the news, I don't watch it anymore. I do catch the highlights on my computer. Just in case the world ends, I want to be aware of it, okay? Because, you know, in a few days, it's, it's supposed to end. So in case they got it wrong and it comes early, I, I want to know. So I'm sure Yahoo will tell me if the world ends. So, but you look at the world around you. Do you know what? To the untrained eye, it, it could look like a complete disaster, couldn't it? It could just look like that things are spinning out of control. If you read the newspaper and watch the news, that's pretty much what they tell you. One guy's telling you it's spinning out of control, and it's spinning this way. And the other guy's telling you it's spinning out of control, but it's spinning the other direction. They're just all spin doctors. And we're left to figure out which way it's all spinning. No. God, God, listen to me, church. God is in control. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of all. Man, like Chicken Little, is running around thinking the sky is falling. But I'm telling you what, God is firmly in control of all things. Just because we don't know what he is doing every moment of every day doesn't mean he is not. And we have a horrible inclination. It's our human nature. It's our sin nature. We have a horrible inclination to want to be in control and in the know of everything. And when God doesn't feel the need to... Let us know everything. We don't like that. 
And what do we do? We just go ahead and make assumptions without God. We just put God over here in a box somewhere, and then we just start making assumptions about the world. And they're almost always wrong. So what do we do? We go back to the one who is firmly in control of all. And we look to him. Because the what of God is not driven by our plans and our purposes. Now remember that 4,000 years between the first promise made of Jesus coming to man and when the promise actually was fulfilled, when Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem and he now has busted heaven wide open and he has come to earth. He has taken on human flesh and he's laying in that manger a little baby. Do you know that Prior to his birth, there were 400 years called the 400 years of silence. For 400 years, there was no prophet. There was no prophetic word coming. They had the scriptures. Now, you need to hear me. You need to listen. Because there was no prophet, because there was no prophetic word, doesn't mean God wasn't speaking. Where were the Elijahs? Where were the Elishas? Where were the Jeremiahs? Where were the, well, forget the major prophets. I'll take a minor prophet. Just give me an Amos or give me a Hosea. Give me something, God. No, for 400 years, silence from heaven. Silence. God, what are you doing? Silence. Turn over to the book of Luke. Hold your place in Mark. In the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, we see the story of another couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the cousin, was the, was the, what would that be right? She was related to Mary. So that the child of Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist, and the child of Mary, who was Jesus, John and Jesus were cousins. They're they were related by family, by blood. And in Luke, Luke in his gospel records the story of Zacharias who was a priest. And one day Zacharias is serving in the temple doing what he always did. This was his lot in life. This is who he was. And his lot literally had come and it was time for his service in the temple. So he left his town where he lived, and he came and he served for a period of time in the temple. And behold, guess what happened? An angel comes to Zacharias. It's recorded right here. 
Let's, let's read in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Zechariah, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers, your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth were old. They were kind of like Abraham and Sarah. They were past childbearing years. Elizabeth was barren, which was, which was a disgrace in her culture and in the time she lived. And, and, and it, was, it was not a good thing for a woman not to have children. There was a desire for her to have children. And the fact that she didn't have children was something that she lived with. And it was a point of shame in her life that, that God had not given her children. Are you hearing me? Do you, do you see the win of God at work here? Can you imagine how many... Nights, Elizabeth went to bed and prayed and begged God to give her a son, to give her a child. And, and what did Elizabeth hear? Nothing. Silence. And her and her husband, Zacharias, grow old and they passed childbearing age and they just... They don't think about having a kid anymore because couples their age don't have kids. So however they did it, they, whether they grew content or whether they just settled and said, you know what, it's out of our control. The thought of them having children was not there anymore. And one day, in the midst of this 400 years of silence, just doing what he does, doing what God had appointed him to do. It was a day like any other day. He's in the temple. He goes through the first veil into the holy place. The next veil took you into the most holy place. Behind that veil would have been the Ark of the Covenant, but he was in the holy place where the table of showbread was and where the the, the altar of incense was and where the menorah, the lampstand was, and he's there putting incense on the altar and doing what priests do. And lo and behold, an angel appears to old man Zacharias. And look what the angel said. God has heard your prayer. And your wife Elizabeth will, will, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And he goes on and tells him how great he's going to be and gives him some instruction about his upbringing. Tells him he's going to go before him. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, for he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just 
to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, to you and I, as we read that scripture, we might not get the full impact of what that angel just said to Zacharias. But Zacharias, the priest, when he heard the angel quote the prophet, and when he heard the angel tell him what his son, who his son was going to be, there was no doubt in Zacharias' mind that what the angel just got through telling him was that your son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now I'm talking about the wind of God and the wad of God. Here's a couple that's given up having any hope of having children. Their win is long past according to their timetable, but not God's. The win was passed for Abraham and Sarah according to their timetable, but not God's. And here the angel appears and says, you are going to have a son. Not only are, I mean, that would have been enough right there for Zacharias and Elizabeth to be happy, but not, you're not just going to have a son, but you're going to have a son who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's one thing to believe my wife's going to have a son in her old age. It's another thing to believe that he's really going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Because if he's the forerunner, what you're telling me is the Messiah is coming. By the way, we've been waiting. It's been 400 years of silence, and out of 400 years of silence on the end of 4,000 years since the first promise, heaven breaks open and an angel comes, and boom, there it is. God speaks. When you least expect it, in the way you would least expect it, God speaks and he does something. And Zacharias is so in awe, he's so dumbfounded, he's so shocked, he said to the angel, how shall I know this? You know who I am? I'm an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. And here's what you don't want to hear if an angel ever appears to you. Okay? And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. It'd be kind of like this. The angel looks at him and goes, you talking to me? I'm Gabriel. You're, you're asking me How? Will you know this? Are you questioning what I'm telling you? I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Let me tell you something. That interaction between Gabriel and Zacharias is a microcosm of what had happened over the last 400, even the last 4,000 years, but certainly over the last 400 years with Israel. They were steeped in unbelief. They were steeped in their sin, in their rebellion toward God. 400 years of silence. 
Zacharias gets Gabriel from the presence of God. He comes and he delivers the message directly from God, and he can't believe it. And consistent with what was happening in the nation, God brings silence to this man. He can't talk. He can't speak. He can't communicate with words, with sounds. There's a deafening silence. Well, he comes out of there and he's, he's writing, he's making signs, he's trying to communicate what's going on. And the rest of the story is John was born. They name him John. They didn't want to name him. Everyone in the family's going, why are you going to name him John? There's no one named John in your family. And they're questioning Elizabeth like, woman, your husband, if he ever gets his voice back, you're going to be in trouble. You better not name that boy John. That, that moment, Zacharias says, his name is John. And everyone's like, oh, whoa, why? Well, because the angel said. Why? Because God said. Zacharias, there in that temple, doing what he had always done, performing the service to the Lord, I mean, out of nowhere, when it's least expected, God shows up and breaks 400 years of silence and doesn't just bring a prophetic word. I mean, he sent an angel and he sent the forerunner and he has sent the Messiah. Who would have ever guessed it? Well, none of them would have. But I want you to, I want you to think about this. Though there were 400 years of silence, God never stopped speaking. Do you realize this? Some of you are waiting for a word from God, and you are hearing nothing but a deafening silence. You know why? Because God, God is already spoken, and He's still speaking. How? Right here in this word. We'll travel halfway across the world to get a man to, to give us a word, but yet God has delivered His holy, inspired word to us, but, but this isn't good enough. I need flesh and blood to tell me something. And sometimes God sends flesh and blood to tell you something. But sometimes there is silence. And we mistakenly think God is not speaking. Oh, he never stops speaking. If he ever did, the world as we know it would cease to exist. I'm not kidding you. I believe that. And in the silence, God is speaking. Do you believe that? God is continually declaring his promise, even, even, even in the silence. And we ask God, what are you doing, God? Or we say, God, when are you going to come through for me? Maybe you're like Zacharias and Elizabeth. And you've already given up. Don't give up. Don't stop hoping. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting that God can do what is impossible for man. Just because God hasn't done it in our time, according to our schedule and our timetable, doesn't mean God's not going to do. Because God is going to do what he's planned, what he's promised, what he has purposed to do. It just isn't going to be 
maybe in the way and in the time that we thought. 400 years of silence. Though God was continually speaking by His Word through the silence, through the silence, God was speaking. And so God speaks today. Even, even through the silence. So don't be moved by what appears to be happening or what appears to not be happening. Are you hearing me? Don't be moved by what you hear or what you don't hear. Don't be moved by what you see or perhaps what you don't see. So we all have our plans. You realize this. We all have our plans and our purposes. Even when we try not to because we know that his are better. We're human. We still struggle with this. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have plans and purposes. I mean, God made us this way. But our plans and our purposes have got to be submitted to his. And I think even more importantly, our plans and our purposes must become conformed to his so that they're not really ours. They are his. The what of God is not driven by by ours, but by his plan and by his purpose in all things. All right, I'm going to stop there because I still have to talk to you about the how of God and the why of God. We're going to do that next week. And this is really important. I think these are important things for us to understand. We need to be reminded, this is why it's important for us to not just gravitate to our refrigerator magnet scriptures. This is why it's important for us not to just grab the scripture that we've taken out of context and we're, this, it's important for us to see in a large scope, in an overarching way, how God has worked through human history. How God works in the life of his people. Because we are conditioned by our culture today. And I'm telling you what, if I can't have it in 30 seconds or less, I mean, if I pull up to that drive-thru and I tell that lady and that speaker what I want, if I got to wait more than two or three minutes, boy, I'm telling you what, we get bent out of shape. Hey, isn't this supposed to be fast food? If I wanted to come in and sit down and wait, I'd have done that. I, I need fast food. This is our culture. We want a fast answer from God. God, look, don't bother me with the details, God. Don't you have a value menu somewhere I can just scan real quick? This is what I need. Just, just, this is it. Just lay it out here for me so I can just tell you what I need, and you just need to deliver it to me, God. You show me in the Bible where God has ever worked that way. He doesn't. And I'm going to tell you what, the more you complain and the more you yell at that little speaker or the person in the window there, the more you tell them you're in a hurry, God's going to do just like that worker at McDonald's or Jack in the Box or wherever. Because 
they're no different today than they were when, when I was a teenager. And I know what my friends did. Hey, we got one in a hurry over here. Oh, oh, did you just drop his hamburger patty on the floor? Oh, well. Oh, your ears are dirty here. Let me take their hot dog and clean my ear. I, th- that really happened. Oh, they're in a hurry. Oh, you know, I, it's going to be just a minute, ma'am. Sir, the slower it's going to get. Now, the thing is, God's not vindictive like people in fast food restaurants. Be kind to the people that are serving you your food. Just remember that. Be kind to them, even if it kills you, because you don't want to know what you're eating. God's not vindictive like that. He's not just punishing us. But I'm going to tell you what. God is a good father who knows how to discipline his children. And that's not a bad thing. God is a good father who knows how to teach his children and help his children. I'm just the messenger. I can only tell you what I see in this word. And I'm telling you, if you don't have a love for this word, pray that God would give you a love for this word. Begin to read what God has recorded for you. Do you know how much is not recorded for you that there is? But what he has recorded is absolutely enough for you. You don't need any more. Okay? You don't need any more. And if you'll begin to take the time to see how God has chosen, has purposed to work, and we'll, we'll trust God with the when, and we'll trust God with the what, and we'll trust God with the how, and we'll give the why to Him. You will become a people like God wants you to be, full of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory and peace that passes understanding and fruit that abounds to righteousness. A people who find that in His presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures at His right hand forevermore. That's ours. That's our promise. But if we spend our time here on this earth trying to figure out life based on our when, our what, our how, and our why, we're going to be miserable people. And you know what? The sad thing is there's a lot of Christians who are miserable because they won't give these things to God. And they won't trust God with them. God is going to have His way whether we like it or not. He will. And that's a good thing. Let's all stand. And let's pray that God would help us as a people trust Him. Father, help us as a people. Lord, we are Lord, we are a people marred by sin. Lord, our human nature which is our sin nature, 
Lord, it is so easy for us to allow that nature to drive us and to dictate to us. God, you made a way where there was no way. Lord, at the cross, you brought an end of one will and you established your will. Lord, we can still live with the illusion of what was. Or we can come and we can surrender. And we can, Lord, offer up ourselves to be crucified with you. And we can die and allow you to live in us and through us. And we can say with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be a people that, that Lord, would be delivered from the win on our terms and our timetable. and We would trust your time. That we would be a people delivered of the what, Lord, based on, Lord, our own plans and our own purposes. We would trust yours. Lord, we invite you. Lord, I pray that every heart in this building today would invite you sincerely to do a work by your Spirit, that you would change us, God, that you and your grace would not allow us to remain the same, that even if we want to be the same, even if we don't want to change, even if we want to stay right where we are, trusting in the things we've always trusted in, doing the things we've always done, God, that you and your grace will not allow us to remain that way, but you will do a work by your Spirit and change us and transform us and conform us more and more and greater and greater to the image of the Son. Please, God, have mercy on us. Don't allow us to remain in our deception, thinking that our way is the best way, that our will is the only will that counts that I am the only one I can truly trust. Oh God, we are so deceived. Our hearts are so wicked and deceptive. Break us from that God and help us to see that you are the only one that we can trust. And Father, as we come to that place of surrender, fill us with your joy. And reveal to us the pleasures that you have in store for us that are found only in your presence and only at your right hand. Not in our rebellion, not in our kicking against what you want, but Lord, in our willful surrender to your will, we find our greatest happiness, our greatest pleasure. Father, thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are always working in us, always praying on our behalf the will of God. And we trust that your will shall be done in us, in Christ Fellowship, in Taylor, Texas, on this earth, even as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. We thank you, Lord. All right, come back next week. Bring a friend. We're going to talk about the how of God and the why of God. Tonight's our last installment of the Truth Project. Uh, You're welcome to come.
Each one stands on its own and is really, really good. Um, and uh, sign up. Don't forget, please sign up for the progressive dinner if you have not already. And get those angel tree gifts here by next Sunday. God bless you. I love you. If anybody wants prayer for anything, personal, physical, whatever, come. Let's pray.